How you doing, folks? And welcome back to another episode of the Dad Bod Bible Real Men Talk, where I talk to guys that I find interesting and see what they've got happening in their lives and how it can maybe affect you. So today I've got Rodney Moore. Rodney is a long-term friend of mine. I have known him for I got must be two decades now, and he's a very successful MMA gym. He's had a couple of MMA fighters go to the UFC and do very well there. Had one of those fighters, Norman Parks, get to win the Ultimate Fighter. So Norman, or Norman, so Rodney, how is life, mate? Uh, all good, Paul. For uh, all this lockdown shit, but apart from that, man, we're just surviving up every day and doing something and just keep active. Well, listen. If, if for people who don't need, know you, who are you? All right, well, I'm Rodney Murr. Uh, if you don't know from the accent, from Ballymena. Uh, I've been doing the MMA since 2000. So I went to America in January 2000. Came across the MMA. I think you were actually in Australia. When did you come back from Australia? Because that's when I started training from you. No, I was uh, 2006, I think. I, I met you about 2006. Uh so that's what happened to the MMA ever since then. We just started off a few guys in the garage and, and then it built up from then. And you uh, one of the most successful gems in the country now. So I was I had uh, Andy Burroughs on the other day. I remember having a oh, good yeah. chat. We're having a good chat chat about the old school, the way the way we used to do it and the and the way it's moved revolved now. Now you're definitely in the best position of anyone in the north to Give a description of what you think the differences have been from the beginning when we were doing it in Davy's Garden and Davy's We Shared to today. What have you seen the big differences in the evolution of the sport? Just the science, the scientific, and uh, like man, we overtrained. Like back when we were doing it, man, they wouldn't do it in a month, but we'd all done friggin' four days. Uh, <laughs> but it's like again, there's more injury, like more the more preventions for injuries, a lot more smarter with all the physio, the rehab. Um, like August night and day, I tell people it's like an analog mobile phone. I think like a breeze belt that you carried about to the newest <laughs> iPhone. That's the difference, and that's how the sports evolve. I talk of that at the overtraining. I remember one time you and Emmett were fighting. You were in one. Of, it was one of their um, rambling shows, and you and Emmett were going to fight. And it was about a week and a half before the fight happened. And the both of you were in Davy's garage sparring each other because know, there was no one else to spar. <laughs> <laughs> so that happened to either Marco Tull or Tom Haddock as well. We were actually fighting on the Sunday in the Elk, and I was up at Davy's training on the Friday. And there's your man and fucking doing a lesson with Davy. We were rolling about, <laughs> rolling about and sparring for. It, it, oh, it shows you the difference. It shows you, like, you know. The way the way you see MMA today, you know, if you just got into MMA, you would see like the Conor McGregor style <clears throat> tries talk on Facebook and each other slobbering who you're going to do this and I'm going to do this to you and trying to get ticket sales. But back in the day, it was a community. It was like everyone was friends and you'd beat the shit out of each other either in the gym or actually on a show. And then it was like you're just back the next day training with them. Aye, that was that man. That's but. It was a lot smaller back then. Now, it has exploded because of Conor McGregor. Of course, it has definitely multiplied everybody and their dog knows about it now. But as you say, back then, there was only a handful of gems in the country and you hadn't even had enough people to fight. You had to fought the same boy two or three times in a year just to get a fight. Uh, and same as travelling over to the UK and stuff. But the story, you actually had to pay your own flights and go across to get a fight. I was talking uh, about that. Oh, they're spoiled now, man. They've never left it and laid for them, and do you think that's actually having a detrimental effect on the sport, or do you think that's good? Do you think, like, you know, we, we had to, when we got involved, we'd done it for passion. 
Like, he definitely didn't do it for a living because there was I no trying to make him money. No. Do you, do you think the, the, the culture, the way it's evolved, is better for the sport, or do you think it's detracting from it? Well, again, it has its good and bad points. Like, of course, that's good. Fighters are getting more money and getting the respect. They're, they're due, and it's more mainstream. Like, say you can speak to anybody in the Tesco's or Sainsbury's now, and they know what MMA is. Like back in the day, it was all about the cage fighting carry on and this and that. So, uh, no, it's good in that way. And again, that helps. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, people are trying to make a serious living from it. And it's an elite sport and a tough sport. So, they get paid for it. You can sustain an injury that ruins you basically for life. So, you need, you need some. But also, again, on that, guys are getting more to like marketing and PR. You know, they have their own, like, usually clothing lines gems so they're kind of the hair screwed on it's more business orientated as well now it's not just fighting for the sake of fighting and learning you're actually it's a, it's actually, there's a purpose behind it uh we uh we were lucky enough to be on the first show in ireland in the ufc i was i was right. working with me and you were working with uh colin colin hi um now, that, that was my only experience in the UFC. You've had, what, three or four, five now, six more? I don't oh, know. Nine or eleven, nearly. Nine or right. eleven. So many. Well, what was the, like, I'm just, this is my own curiosity, and I, what's the difference between how we experience it and how it's, how it's run now? Because I'm sure the UFC's evolved as a company. Uh-huh. Well, even, like, back when we were there, uh, I think we were in awe of everybody. You're seeing Randy Couture run about and Dana White. You're like, Nearly like a shell shocks, like what you call like a so we see him a superstar, you know, or something like that. So it was all kind of a blur. But uh, seeing how it's evolved on now, and it's, it's 100% professional and how they run things. Uh, there's too many people now, again, it's not as like hands on. And like by then, you had Dana White, the two Fatia brothers, and they nearly been the first name terms. Like, I would still see Dana, he would remember me. And then. Uh, <laughs> Now, man, there's hundreds of thousands of people, and you're just, just like seeing the normal person up the street now. Whenever you see all the celebrities, have you become less starstruck about it now? Has it just become a run of the mill thing going to the UFC? Ah, uh, we bet, but you still have your people that you like. Uh, but no, as because they're like I say, we Reese's experience, like to sit back and actually watch him. That's who I was my first time there, and it's just to see it's nice. I just sat back, say fuck all, and just watch. People's reactions and how they adapt to things. Like, you know, it's been when was Norm? 2016, 17 was Norman's last run out. But yeah, all the production and all the running stuff, they still remembered me because, like, there's no bullshit with us, man. We don't complain. We go there, we be where we're meant to be in time, we fight. And they look after us, we look after them. But they still remembered. And they're all asking questions about Norman and all. And so, no, no, it's cool. Like, so tell me, it's Rodney. When did, how did you get your gym evolved? I actually don't know how you started your gym in the first place. Um, when I came back from America, I, I started I was doing that. It was called Valley Chudo over then. And uh, so I came back home. Before I left, I was doing the door. And then uh, I came back home. The boys said, oh, come on, show us some of that stuff you were doing over in America. And then, so just four or five, I just trained in my dad's, the back of my dad's house, a garage. And then... It got bigger, word spread out, we were doing next thing again, a wee orange hall, and then uh, trained away there, then I fell in with David, because I always heard this other boy in Randall's town doing this case fight, <laughs> carry on, <laughs> and I, needed, I wanted somebody else to train with, because there was nobody down here, and I think there was only Tom Lamont, Davey, Peter Laverty, 
I think that was up in the north. And the youth oh. work started then. The FAA wasn't going then. And then uh, you'd only think John Kavanagh, Mark Leonard, and Dave Jones. I think Andy Ryan, that was at four or five down south. So that was all the clubs in the country at that time. So I just always heard about Davey. Obviously, Graham Keyes as well was doing the Gracie Barra. Uh, but I always heard about Davey. And uh, oh, that's what you have from Randall's town. It's all Brilliant Grappler and all that MMA stuff. So uh, I ended up down for fucking six or seven months before I got a freaking response from him. So, <laughs> yeah. After that, me and him trained morning and night. Boy, me and I swear to God, man, every morning, fucking 500 Hindus, freaking... Well, 50 Hindu push-ups, three-minute neck fuckers, mountain climbers, wall walks. That was brought, <laughs> and then we done the exact same thing at night time again. So we still a thousand of them a day, man. That was... I I try to tell people they just don't understand. I've got in my my sessions, you know, my training sessions in my gym. Uh-huh. I put like maybe a hundred Hindu squats in and the bitch about it. And I just look at them and I go, You have no idea. What do you say? Five hundred of them fuckers we used to do. Uh, <laughs> the I still have an old, you know, like an old whiteboard in the gym. Yeah. And I have still have it took like 48, 50 minutes non-stop. They started the Hindus was the warm up and that's push uh the Hindu push ups, mountain climbers, grasshoppers, neck bridge, Brad bike no. brags, that's that, and then you're walking. No nose the floor. That's right. Uh, maybe I'm nostalgic, maybe I'm just getting old, but for me those days were a special time in Irish MMA. And Andy Burroughs and I went down there like the the re- memory train there for, for a long time in that conversation. What do you what do you what do you hold dear about those days compared to the days today? I think because it was it was so small a community, it was more personal. As you say, everybody knew everybody, and man, it was just it was innocent training. You just trained hard, and you fought, and you friggin trained back Monday, trained again, and you fought. It was not the next weekend, the weekend after it. Like uh, I think it was everybody knew everybody. There was no social media, there was no bullshit, no shit talk, man. Everybody respected the martial arts way. Everybody respected everybody. Fair right, you. You want to fight the guy, of course, be aggressive towards him and piss him off and stuff. But you know, when you get public on social media, thank God that wasn't about in them days. That's where actually talking. How did we ever research fighters back then? Because <laughs> there was no YouTube. But don't know. Like, <laughs> I was. I remember. Um, were you down in the Galway? The Cage Wars too. No, I didn't get that one. No. I remember we myself, Davy, and Greg Lockin drove down, and we went into the the rules meeting. And I can, I can, I'll never forget this. I've seen this guy, and he just looked like one of those cartoon drawings of a hard man. He just looked ca- carved out of granite. He had those eyebrows that came down in a V, uh-huh. and a nose, and just big forehead, big chin. Just, and I remember thinking to myself, "Mother of God, please do not let me fight this guy." Because <laughs> I'm poor bastard, Greg, Greg Lockham, God, Greg, go <laughs> and he pinned Greg against the cage. And I remember the punches that finished the fight. I couldn't even watch. I turned my head going... No way. They were just brutal. And I just remember thinking, I was like, that kid, that, that um, weigh-in, like, my fighter was like 11 kilos heavier than me. Uh, there, there was no fucking weight classes, really. There was there was not no- Man, I, I've been to fights where, you, one, you didn't know who the hell you were fighting. You got there, and it was kind of, anybody similar size to you. And the floor, like I'm 90 kilos, you thought something 95. I thought people at 98 and 100. Uh, 
and you would look at them if they this year was a bit more cauliflower than the other eye, shoots with his head to the outside, and if his right delt's bigger than his left delt, he's a southpaw. You know, you had to just pick up these wee faults and flaws and try and just figure out when you thought you met, you met the guy and uh, in the other side of the ring or the cage, you know. So, no, it's changed the for me it's night and day. And what do you see of the future for MMA for Ireland? Do you, do you see it expanding more? And because we've seen they've got like a decent pool of fighters getting on the really rec recognized shows, Cage Warriors, Bellator, UFC. Do you see it only getting better now? Definitely, it's evolving, and like there's no such thing as really bad clubs anymore. Everybody's at a decent level, and they're all evolving. Like they're all coming on leaps and bounds. Uh, but I think it is now, it's a belief that we can actually do it. You know, seeing the likes of Norman and Reese and Conor McGregor and all making it to the limelight. Like, 10 years ago, man, you'd have thought nobody would hope in hell of being from our country, the island, all the size of that small island. For like, for one person to have the domination of the whole UFC and who's brought the game up, like Conor has, you wouldn't have thought it possible. Uh, but that's, that's doable. And the young guys, like, like Reese used to come to the gym and watch Norman. And think, oh, fuck, he's in the UFC. Someday I get there. Now for Reese to actually be there, so then the younger generation is now looking at Reese and saying, "Here, this is doable. This is a small, you know, a small island, a small country, and the guys are going to the top level of the world." Like, so we're we're a nation of fighters. Like, there's no doubt, and we have got. And I don't think people actually understand that they're inside the Irish and the British, whatever you want to say, the UK, Ireland. There uh, is like this. Ability for such small nations, we've got a lot of guys who are willing to put their life on the line and just leave it on the cage, and you can see it coming through more and more. Do you uh -huh. see it in the local shows? Are you still involved heavily in local shows, or would you let? Yeah, that... still get to what ones I can. I try and corner every guys from amateurs to the professionals. Um, but as man, is that hardy breed? Because even wherever you've been in the world, man, they, they think we're crazy. You see, it doesn't matter if it's America, Brazil. You're, you're anywhere in Europe, they think we're nuts and they just think there's that hard, real hardcore, hard fight and Irish thing that's in you. And like the Russians have it too, you know, and some of the European guys as well, but it's, uh, there's just something in us, man, that breeder, that DNA that's that's can like you, you have. Can you see anyone having <clears throat> at the antidote for Khabib? Uh, <gasps> no, overlay. I'm sure if him and Connor fought again, it would be a different... And I, told Dan Connor, I don't think Connor's got it what has to beat him, but I thought Justin Gaethje would have given him a harder fight. But I, I, that's what made me think to myself when I seen that Gaethje fight. And I, made him look like a novice. I had Gaethje winning it. I thought Gaethje. Was I, I thought here this is a tester. This is definitely a dodgy fight for the guy twenty nine and zero, and it was going to be his last one. So, uh, but you see that Newbridge, you see that whole division, man. The top four or five and that top ten, they're all killers. Like, there's no. Like unreal that other and now Michael Chandler's not Max because what he done the big Dan Hooker as well. I thought that was going to be a good fight. So that big overhand I just caught him like so uh Can you, you see know, a way back for Connor? Or do you think Connor's done? I think he needs to just concentrate on MMA. You know, he's boxing and he's got the the hunger and all still there, man. They do that training and put in the effort he does. But it just shows you the game has evolved so much. Like that year or so out it's had out. Like the game's evolved and he hasn't that superhuman aura about him anymore. Like he can't be beat. And, and I think once you lose that, 
it 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 gives fighters just like with just like when we got to fighters in Ireland got to the UFC, uh-huh. it sort of that myth that we weren't good enough, uh-huh. and then evolved. And I think the same things happened with Conor. Sadly, I think um as much as I don't like I, I don't like the way Conor presents himself as the marketing guy. It's brilliant what he does. He's phenomenal, uh-huh. but I don't like it for the grassroots. The effect it has on grassroots, you know, yeah. fighters. You you seen like when when it was Conor Mania. You seen all the wee lads getting on, uh, well, like Connor, and they, they, they didn't have the right to do that, in my opinion, because they hadn't earned it. Uh, I suppose Connor backed everything up. He he deserves the credit to what he what he done. You know, he from me sixteen, he said he's going to do it. But I don't like the way it's leached into the grassroots and kids are now on Facebook slabbering each other. Uh, I think that takes away from the sport. Yeah, definitely. I didn't like that. Say they got too far. Like fair enough, imitate your hero and imitate whatever they get where you want to go, but. There was no respect then they were there. I kind of left the martial arts side behind and it was too personal and like but the last time now the other side of the coin, I think he was too level headed and too friendly. The last yeah. fight we Poirier, the last one we Dustin Poirier there. I don't think he was aggressive enough. You know, you don't have to talk shit all the time, but uh, I won a hundred quid from that, so I was glad I I, I had Poirier to win. I, I just knew something told me he was gonna he wasn't gonna win it. Uh, I don't, my personal opinion is I think McGregor's past his sell-by date now. I think uh-huh. too many people know him. They've he's lost that fear factor, like Tyson when Tyson got knocked out. Aye, aye. Do you know? And I think, but I do think there's definitely potential for other young up-and-coming fighters to maybe start taking that crown and start pushing themselves towards. And I think Ireland could get themselves back on the mat very soon in the next four or five years. Do you have anyone you're looking at in your club going? Oh, I well definitely Reese will get his Reese will do well like um, basically it's just this kind of career break he's having it's not fair he's got the opportunity of a lifetime and he can't train probably for it like we were getting two hour and a half sessions a week uh, with just four people to train for like the UFC so it's either relocate to America but basically the way it was left just get a bit more experience when all the restrictions are left out we'll have you back again they see a potential and they see a future on him so uh, it's a tough pal to swallow, but he'll be back there. And you'll see him, not see him going all the way. Like, he's got the potential, he's got the head screwed on. Um, he's level headed, he's well mannered, and he trains hard and very smart. Like, fight IQ wise, is smart as well. So, and there's he's a lot of striker up. more, isn't he? More striker, but he can go on the ground too, wrestling on the ground as well. But it's entertaining, everybody likes to see a good, a good knockout, a good brawl, you know. But it's just that next and you don't always say to please the crowd, you know, take it to the ground. And as MMA, I keep telling them, as MMA, keep the, keep the opponent guessing. It's not just a boxing match, it's not just a wrestling match, or it's not a grappling match. If, you know, grapple a bit, strike a bit, wrestle a bit, just keep them guessing. Yeah, there's, there's, I think the one thing I've noticed about MMA is definitely it's, it's no longer you're a boxer, you're a jiu jitsu, you're an MMA fighter, and uh, you, you're well rounded. There isn't very many people that you can turn around and say, McGregor would have been. A striker, Do you know, yeah. that's I mean, one of the few, but for those making it, they have to have an all around game, and it's such a it requires such discipline and dedication these days to learn the skills. When we were doing it, we were learning out of magazines. Now you've I got VHS tapes, man. VHS tapes. <laughs> <laughs> I always bring back the nostalgic bit, it, it makes me it makes me happy. I just see <laughs> them smiling. So the uh, time. It's just, I can remember too, man, Davey bringing a laptop and. Like a copied copy desk and kind of watching a couple of moves, but then we'd add our own stuff onto it. 
I've got, I must have honestly about 150 copy DVDs that I still look at and still look at Tito RT series. That's and the, right, man. I've got them Back in the end days, the UFC back in the end days was just, a, for me, it was better. And maybe, right. maybe I'm just being thinking romantically about it, but it, there was something about the Chocolate Dale Tito Ortiz series, and there was all these, you know, great fighters that were just had great fucking like competitions against each other, and it just it's become almost too business like for me now. I've sort of lost the. I kind of has. It's all business now. It has I know what you mean back then? You know, it was all they were killers and were like training. It was like there was no glamour to it. You know, there was no business side of it. There was no. PR, no yellow text at your Twitter or friggin' Instagram account. It was basically you were a fighter. You fought and you're a fighter. That was it. I think a lot of guys aren't fighters anymore. I think a lot of guys are like they like the image of a fighter. Uh huh. But 100%. When... They've been about for years. Yeah. Uh, they, they want they want the name and the poster or the photo and the poster and then they do shit all about it. Like, but what's your opinion in grassroots? I've got I'm very strong opinion on this. I'd like to see your opinion. Um. Grassroots MMA. On one side, you've got shows that are helping push young fighters, give them the taste of what it's like. On the other side, these same shows, they're pushing first-time fighters to fight into a crowd of a thousand people, and they're promising ticket deals. And in my opinion, a grassroots fighter like amateur boxing, there shouldn't be money involved. It should. No. There should be lots of shows in the internal club shows. In my opinion, where fighters can learn their trade under the pre under Less pressure, you know, like fighting in front of a thousand people. People do not understand how much balls it takes to get in the cage. And oh, do 100%. that. And everyone's in videos and phones now as well. You've all that side of it as well. No, so I, how did I, you change it? Well, I would keep the grassroots. Can you remember it used to be D class, C class, the Pro B, yep. and then Pro? Like I think that because like the D class was in like a community center or like a hotel. There was no ticket sales. It was just basically fighters and coaches and the, all the competitors and athletes. And I used to, that's how Alan Philpott got the name Apprentice, because I made them, all the boys had to do 5 to 10 D class before they got into the C class. And then they got the C class, again, 5 to 10 of them, and then Pro B and then Pro. It was kind of like a stepping stone. Um, but again, I would do off. Andy Ryan used to do a good way battle zone. No entrance music, no lights, no glamour. You came, you fought, basically friends and family was always there to watch you. Uh, because that's a lot of pressure too. And the likes of promoters, you know, getting guys to pay up front now, they book a place in their card and pressure, 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 they sell tickets. I think back then we were, you sold the ticket, you made a fiver, so it was up to you. The money you sold, you, you could make money. You didn't get fucked on the first. <laughs> I am not remember fiver. Was it just me? Was it fuck? Even though it was only the winner, it was £500 for the winner. And up Listen. You, you split it. But you you could have kept the 500 one. fuck you to the opponent or I think the average was 350 150 what? I got 50 quid? <laughs> 50 quid for winning my fight? It was actually against Michael Redmond. No I way, got... I was right now. That was my last fight. I, I actually, that's a funny story because I remember, and I actually watched the video packer recently, but um, I remember that was the fight. In the middle of that fight, I decided I didn't want to fight again. That, no I, way, I, actually, I... I remember I threw this big, I think it was a right hook or left hook, and everyone just went, ooh, I, I just missed his head by inches. Oh, no way. And I remember thinking to myself, when everyone booed, I went, I'm here, and all these motherfuckers want one of us to die. And I, <laughs> and I just thought to myself, what am I doing? And I can remember, even in the fight, I hit him in the jab in the nose, or bust his nose, and his nose is pouring. And I stepped back and went, 
Go on, clean your clean your nose, because uh, I just didn't want to be there anymore. I can remember just losing the all will the, and all uh, heart. Uh, went on a, and I made that conscious decision that after that fight, I would never fight again. No and way. that's uh, that was funny. It's funny, I don't know, but fifty quid I got for that fight and no fuck, professional. Uh, <laughs> even that, but you see, there was no dough. You made the ticket sales and you got a pound or two from that. But well, that was a title fight. I think I had that night with me and Emma, and it was five hundred to the winner, and it was up to you if you wanted to give. The loser, any money you could have, you could have been a cunt about the thing and kept the whole five hundred. That kind of rule of thumb was you get three fifty and you gave them one fifty for showing up. So uh, <laughs> no. the, um, I remember, like in two thousand and fifteen, I contacted Danny Core, and I think it was uh-huh. you as well wasn't it? about the, about starting up the, you know the you the MMA amateur, thing. Yeah, well, I'm, it's I'm, still going, but everything's in the back burner here with all that COVID nonsense, man. It's uh, you can get fuck all done and. You know, Danny's been knocking his pan on now for... As I was, was a bit of said, Danny's done, just made wonders. Like, I stepped back. I just decided it wasn't for me anymore. MMA wasn't for me. And I stepped back. But I'm glad they've been, I'm glad they've been the person like, who started it. You know, but Danny said, Danny, let's do this. I'm I glad remember it, all the first of us got together. Was that over the... The oldest, no, Iron, we called it the skate park. It was an Iron Fit Eye when I had it. When I, I was home. Iron, part, yeah. And, but uh, I've always thought to myself that why has no one adopted a system in MMA to ensure that grassroots kids get the best opportunity. My, in my opinion, I still think it's be the best option would be <clears throat> inter-club fights where only clubs, or the only only coaches and fighters get to watch. But if you're not fighting, you're watching the fight. So the, give the give the people something to give those fighters a bit of pressure, a bit of uh-huh. adrenaline to you know, fighting for. And then the next stage would be a club, like a C class or D class type thing where you only got like, close family, and that slow stepping stone, I think that needs to be implemented and there need to be some sort of rules where, like you said, you have to have X amount of fights before you can move to this one. That way you're going to weed out the ones who want the glory and you're going to find that the ones who are serious. And then yeah, yeah, the week from the chaff as such. That's, uh, no, that's yeah, my proper progression, stepping stone or a platform like that, but that's, that UMMA had that all lined out, like, from the kids right through and it was like, you know, from seven to eleven, done certain stuff, and that certain moves were taken out, and you know, right. under club shows. And I remember Anakin Legend, but judged, but I judged the first one. Anakin Legend, there was a great wee show that had four year olds and everything doing it. And the four year olds, it was, it was young, a great thing. It's class seeing it like at that young age and seeing the wee creators doing the moves and doing, you know, pulling guard and doing takedowns. And no, it is, but I think it needs. They're still, we haven't got from the actual house of sport, they still haven't had the final stamp to recognize MMA, but it's, it's up there, it's so so close. And I What's think, holding it up? It, huh? What's holding it up? Well, I think there was, it was like a financial, they had to get proof just to all the books for a couple of years, but they nearly, it's like it's so close to getting sorted. And I say, as Danny's persevered, there's no evil spot at all. I said, fuck that oh, man, it's just beating your head of a friggin' brick wall, you're getting no further forward, but. All the people involved in the sport NA are now like the kind of newer generation coming through who accept mixed martial arts where the older ones were just either karate or boxing. There was no other just politics yeah. shit as usual. Like, but we're past that. We're getting through there. And it's, you know, fingers crossed it's going the right way. I think it needs to happen because the reality is MMA is not going to go away. It's it's here to no, stay. No, and, and it's going to take over boxing and taking over all the martial arts. And in fact... One of the good things I've always said is it's exposed the crappy martial arts I call the Leisure Center martial arts for what they are. And you know, I, I'm I just don't think I don't see the point. Well, I'm lying. 
I can see the point in doing kids doing jujitsu and karate if it's about discipline. Uh huh. 100%. About, yeah. If it's about self defense, I'm sorry. Just it, it, you need to have okay. something more realistic. I learned some of the basics. I learned some of the basics and get some kind of foundation, but okay, that's just a two sided coin again because you can take the bad habits that you'll never break. But again, if you have like karate and boxing, I, we always told growing up, you do boxing and do judo because that'll cover the. Let the hands go I 100% agree. I say if you're going to, do, I would say if you're going to do two martial arts, make it the old judo, not the north, not the, uh, not the modernized judo, but the old judo when you had the ground fighting in it and Muay Thai. I think uh, if you have both the arts, you've got everything covered. And you don't uh, need I covered. I well, we have there was no Muay Thai back about in our day. There was nothing about. It. I know well, Frankie still doing aye, but Belfast, but traveling about and stuff wasn't really. And I mean, when I was like. 15, 16 and going to boxing clubs. 1920. But that's where the good thing is now. And I, say, I suppose that's what Bruce Lee was doing as well. Like He was taking the best of each individual art. So rather than wasting six years to get a black belt, he took the good part and put it together and put it together. So I think that's what I've always said. Bruce Lee's the original MMA fighter. Like, cause it, and I think... I think if you're if you're a martial a traditional martial artist, if you've got a you've got a structure like let's say karate, uh-huh. if you're if you can't see the flaws and the weaknesses in that art, uh, I think you're not. Like, I know it's, I know I, I'm not bad mouthing any clubs or any people, but I see traditional people come into me all the time and like they're convinced they can kill dead people. They are actually and they've never been punched in the mouth before. As soon as you punch them, arms are over their head, they're curling away. They've never been took down, never been choked. Uh, it's a bubble burster for them all. Huh? When I came back from Australia, I went up to my brother-in-law's jiu-jitsu club. And I, was, I just got my blue belt this stage, still in blue belt. Uh-huh. And, uh, and um, <laughs> <laughs> it's terrible, like 10, 15 years. <laughs> but uh, I, I grappled with all their black belt instructors. And in under three and a half minutes, I tapped out six of them. No way. See, and, I know. And, and these and actually two of them walked up, took their belts off, first hit them, and threw them in the bin. No way! And, just said, and said, "I've wasted three years of my life." Just All realized, right. but I think that was that was back when MMA was just you know it was just and people know. I think now the 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 martial arts have expo have been exposed, but at the same time, I think they also people have seen like Danny Cord's very good at implementing karate. Uh-huh. And the kicks and punches are very effective. His kids, kids are winning the fights. The fights. Uh-huh. Um, who'd you call him? Who'd you call the guys who drink his urine? I Machito or you? Machito, He 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 was he's another karate guy for, uh-huh. for a solid year and a half. He dominated the UFC. Sort of Steve Wonderboy as well. He's that that's boy, that's that's yeah. But again, that that's again. But it's the Bruce Lee one is taking the good stuff and applying it to was needed. You know, I think it's a plan what's good for you because what's good for you, what works for you doesn't work for me. It's I work for everybody else. You have to figure out your own way and figure out your own methods. See, to be honest, the more I've been talking to guys in MMA, there's a wee bug coming back on me and I'm just wanting to get back into coaching it again. I'm starting to... Uh-huh. I've got a funny feeling I get my hip replaced and I might start my own wee club up again. <laughs> get so, together, get their own going again. <laughs> I've got my match yeah, on. thing as well about the MMA, like, you know yourself, I... In the pub, it was all oh, who'd won the karate boy or the boxer. Or, yeah. So that, that hit a lot of UFC. That's what, uh, it was a Horian Gracie. That's what his goal was. They proved that Gracie Jiu Jitsu would beat any other martial art. And they put the 
the old pub argument at bay of who would win the crack man or the boxer or whatever. So, so I was talk I was telling Andy Burroughs about Martin. Uh, Martin, our Martin, Russian, Martin. Russian Russian mafia. And <laughs> <laughs> I think people like I'm trying to tell people the effectiveness of Sistema, right? Mm-hmm. Now I'm fighting against the YouTube videos of your big guy going like this. And you know, right, right, that's madness. I know you can't defend that. That's just nonsense. <laughs> but, but that's what I'm saying. I'm trying to defend Sistema against All that. Right. Because, like, when I say Sistema is good, people go bring this YouTube video up, and I go, What can All I say? Right. It's, it's something you have to experience. There's not like, to, honestly, God, you have to between Martin and Andrew, like, fuck me. You know yourself, man. You, your man, Andrew, you put him in a full blown heel hook. Trigger escaped out one seconds. Do you remember the time I put him in a rain? He, he let me put him in a rain like a choke and he said no tighter. And I had both hooks in and I had it squeezed on and, he's, and then he said go. And I squeezed even harder and he's like, <laughs> and he just popped me like I had my whole arm. I still don't know how to do As but some, and they just have to train it to understand it. I think uh, MMA is a sport and this is basically a fucking fight for your life for awareness. This is like no bullshit. This is. It's a real summer. That punch they do. You see if you can see that punch. Like if you could control that for dirty boxing and MMA, man, you would cripple people. It, it's insane. It's the way Martin can land his back and still generate the force that that. Uh-huh. I was trying to tell. I was trying to tell um, Andy about you complaining about the, the time your heart was hurting for about three days after. Man, I missed the beat. You've only done the <laughs> punch in my chest. Oh God, it was Andrew. It's the way it it's like it's like a delayed bomb or something. It goes into uh-huh. you, and then like a bunker bomb, boom, uh-huh. and then it explodes, and it radiates through your whole body. I like people think I'm crazy. People just think it's Paul Paul Murray talking shit. I always have to bring you up. I always have to go listen. Ask Rodney Murray because you know he's uh, not going to have this shit. I know bullshit. I tell you, man. A lot of time, Andrew had me. You could have got a thirty-two kg kettlebell and ran across the street and whacked me in the chest with, and I'm sure. The impact, internal impact that Andrew hit me with from fucking <laughs> inches was a lot more. I was pretty good, man. My heart freaking just. I wasn't ready for a couple of days, but it was fucking. That was brutal. I remember some guy came in there when I was when I got Martin up to Fred Academy. He, he was Martin was doing the stuff with me and knife work and all, and some guy came in to watch, and Sean Connolly actually he was Sean Connolly's friend, and Sean said, "Can you show Paul a few?" This guy was called Paul. Can you show Paul a few? Moves and he uh-huh. Martin gave me the knife and I was going like about sixty percent speed, you know. So it was, uh-huh. it was a sharp knife. It was that sharp knife he uses, and uh, he hit me one shot. And I just remember hitting the floor. Could the pain I was in? It took me about seven or eight minutes to get off my off my stomach and on to my sitting up. But he walked up to me, took the knife out of my hand and just put it across my throat, and uh-huh. I was still running about the floor. Going, <laughs> and it was that, it was that realization that I went. Fuck me! I've been training all my life in this stuff, uh, and I just the pain, the shot, the power of that was just it blew me away. I uh, bless man. That's sort of the Russians for you, like how they fine tune and simplify, simplify things. Like there's some of the stuff Martin was doing. Like I done Cali, a screamer, a lot of nice stuff, and they see the first thing me and Martin done with knives. I felt like a friggin' an amateur. I hadn't a clue. He cut me a ribbons. No, that really was a metal knife with a blunted blade. Yeah, and uh, like before, I would have felt confident if anybody had attacked me with a knife doing the screaming and doing Cali. 
I would have felt pretty confident trying to disarm somebody. I would have given myself kilt, man. I would have been cut the fucking ribbons. Martin it's... just... It was just an eye-opener. And you just nearly think... Same as you. I was like, I've just been doing 24 years of frigging martial arts and not worth shit. <laughs> I actually remember a time, Martin, uh, there was a bit of... Uh, there was just some of the guys were being cheeky, you know, making fun of Martin, sort of... Do you know way? Do you know the way it's all about really slow movements to let yourself adapt to the movement and understand yeah, yeah. They were just making fun of it, joking about, but um, sort of got a wee bit cheeky on it, and uh, they offered Martin for Martin for a thing, and Martin on the cage just threw a key, uh, threw a knife in and stepped in. He goes, "Go ahead," and they were like, "What are you doing?" And he's like, "We're not. This is not sport. Uh-huh. Going, That's, right. That's right." And uh, but you seen that you seen the realization in their faces. They're like, "What?" And their egos got bruised because Martin was uh-huh. poking a knife and going, "We'll fight for the knife, and then we'll see who wins, and whoever comes out alive wins." Type of uh-huh. attitude, and then guys are like. No, we'll tap. <laughs> no, 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 no. We don't tap. No. <laughs> I just remember laughing my balls up going, he's a dangerous man. <laughs> uh, that was scary. You see, my God, have you, got, you know, you kind of got talking to him some of the stories from the old days over there and the training. I was scared of life at you. And just as he's such a humble and nice and placid wee man, do you think like, if that man lost his temper, that may be an absolute just murder. There's about three or four people on this earth I'm genuinely scared of, and I'm, I'll admit I'm scared of, right? I'll go like, no, no. You know, someone see you look like you're all you have a make and you fight. Uh, I can handle myself, but there's guys, you know, we just go, no. Martin's one of those. Martin's one of the top four. I go, take nope. care of that one, definitely. And that Andrew boy, from me. He's he's in the top one. <laughs> if you could actually slag you didn't slag that time. With yeah, that. sounds like that was a finisher. I've got the photographs. I took all the photographs that day. It was a oh, great man, weekend. That was like unreal. And I, do you remember sitting out in the wee hall and the boy, they were all getting the vodka and then the story started coming out. And, yes. Ah, oh, and then the fucking like, the, the real knives got. <laughs> I, I thought something's getting stabbed here. We lose a finger. That's how they train over there. They just shot vodka and then they just started training again. There, it's a different, but what I like about Sistema, I'm actually going to get Martin on because I want to talk to Martin about this because I think everyone needs to understand. I think YouTube and misinformation on Sistema has blackened its name completely and you're never oh, going to get rid of it. I think on that too, you know the way everybody's all floppy and, but that's, if you don't move, the pain's going to make you move. So it's just, you yeah. do it, they flow with the go. It's like, a, it's like a shadow box or a spar, but you kind of move. We call it like cha-cha, the dance kind of thing. If you're doing like flow sparring, you're not hitting the person hard. You're moving with them to keep a steady flow that the technique works. If you don't do it, basically what Martin's going to do is going to inflict pain, which is going to put you in that position and manipulate your joint to pin you down to do what he's going to do. So it's just that floppy, free-rolling thing. It looks bad, but the, uh, the, 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 the understanding of the benefit of it, so is the technique works to drill it. It's I, I, what I like about Sistema is it's understanding energy. Do you know I like the way Martin? The first time Martin I met him, he remember he grabbed the knife and he put the knife to my eye and aye, that's he, aye. I'm sitting there. You're like touch the throat and all aye. Yeah, and then he puts in your balls. You're like stand up and he goes, "Do you feel the energy?" And you're uh-huh. like, "Yes, I feel the fucking." <laughs> and then he throws the knife on the floor and he goes, "Well, where's the energy now?" And you're like, "There is none." He goes, "Exactly." So the knife's not dangerous. It's the man that's holding the knife. Aye, hundred percent. Is is ways of teaching. Martin is one of the most naturally gifted coaches I've ever met in my life. I, I love working with him simply because I've taken a lot of his methods and applied them in my own training. And, and they apply all over. They apply in different areas, not just him. I, 100%, I'm the same. And his wee quotes and his wee sayings and stuff. He's a very so intelligent man. 100%, man. So intelligent. Definitely. 
I was actually with him the other day. It's good to see him. So it was. But um, I was I've lost some train of thought. I was going to say something there, and I completely forgot what I was going to say. Uh-huh. Can you call the guy? You, that's what I was going to ask you. The guy you fought, the grappler. Dean Lester. Dean Lester. I was going to say right. Okay, so I'll take it back into this. I'll take it back in the conversation now. So, so we're Martin. We're talking. Uh, Rodney, along the lines of Stamma. Sorry, I've been talking about the Stamma and the applicable ap- application of the movements. I remember you hit Dean Lister. You said you hit Dean Lister a shot in that fight, and Dean Lister actually came back to you and said, "What the fuck did you hit me with that?" Was that uh, am, I, am I right about that? Aye, there was two. Well, I done the heel on the inside of the leg, and then there's the uh, one I do is just affect the overhands. Martin says like shaking the water off your hand. I done that. And I got my good knee and I got my punch in the throat as well. But there was one there I never seen it, and I said I went to him. But there was the wee where you affect the overhand, and then you come along with the wee bobbing hand. It's like a friggin' It's more just as you shake water your hand, but you hit the stomach at the same time. So, uh. If no, not, I tried done the scream. I tried or the system, and I tried to apply that like to the MMA and stuff in the dirty boxing. And did you get did you have more success in it? Some uh, and against the fence, you can do a lot of the like, you know the way yeah, we call it accelerator. You ever do the one where it keeps his head on the floor, but it kicks you above the ankle with the ball of his foot? Yes. If somebody's sitting against the fence, you have them there. So you do a quick couple of them. We we call it accelerator, and then I say a dog, but their leg can't stand after it. Two or three of them, and you're. There's one of them ones Martin hits you with it and you think that sounds sore. Three mm. seconds later, the pain starts shooting up your leg. And then you hit a second one, you can come put your bloody foot in the ground. So and he he calls that I like the way he calls that information. He's got a very good understanding uh-huh. of you know, like it's just like it's putting something there and then your nervous system sort of recognizes it and it's subconsciously you fear it, you fear that pain. You and I like the way Martin would always apply different pains like he would say there's no point in punching a, a, an MMA fighter in the face, but then he would nip you in the back of the arm. You'd be like, fuck. Aye. And then that movement, that, that move there would equate to him just doing some other crazy shit. There, oh, like you, just... you do that and he gets done something. But even, man, the leg kick. You ever hit your leg kick? <laughs> oh, man. I mean, my legs are pretty well conditioned. I can take a brave chump. Fuck me, man. He hit me one there and I, my God, I thought my leg was broke. <laughs> As, like, I can take, you know, even still, I can take a brave wag to the leg. And whatever he does, he left the leg up. He just drops the dead weight of his leg. And the shin bone just hit me in the thigh. That dull, vibrating thud. You feel it in the floor, from your leg to the floor. My, the pain behind that was... But no, I would, I would take me things like that and try and apply it too. That's why I train other martial arts. You kind of try it and, oh, this might work in MMA. I'll try it. I'll say no to any of the boys. I'll do sparring. I'll try it out. And if it works, we'll use it. And if not, I'll just fuck it, throw it aside. Do you not think that... MMA's become very um not the word ego, it is ego based, but uh, um arrogant in that MMA evolved from every martial art in the world and picking what was worth what, what worked and what didn't. Uh-huh. And now MMA fighters, like we just done it there, I just done it myself, like was shown other martial arts, you know, <laughs> they're pathetic. Do you uh-huh. not see like they it's almost like it's becoming closed minded to potential expansion or evolution of the sport? Uh, as long as I think, uh, so ego ways, uh, fighters, individual fighters with egos, I think that falls down to coaches and how they discipline and how they what they let the people off with. Because we still kind of maintain the traditional martial arts you're on the mat, you're there to train, there's no fucking about, there's no talking about Instagram, social media, you're there to learn. You do have a bit of fun, a bit of a wind up. Uh, it's maybe an off topic on what you were asking, but 
No, it's good. Uh, how coaches, how coaches maintain their discipline and like, you know, that's been nipped in the bud, all that ego and all that bullshit and your art and your skills should basically state what you, what you want to say, Bart. That's why we, we say, like, be basically, let your success be the noise. You know, yeah. if you're out doing your stuff and winning, you don't need to talk shit. People see your skills and see how you're, how you're winning and what you're doing. So you don't need to be on sovereign and bad mouthing everybody. Be respectful and maintain the martial arts life. And how do you find that? Because I don't have experience anymore in coaching. Like I'm out of the sport, but geez, it must be five, six years now. So in those five, six years, the social media influence just exploded. How do you, how do you like work around coaching these young, impressionable, ego-fueled young men who, let's be honest, are looking their whole. Looking the looking the recognition, looking the likes and the follows, and want to build a social media following. So obviously, it's on their mind at all times, and a lot yeah. of them fighting just for the ego side of things. How do you keep it grounded and keep it sort of in your own methods? Well, ban mobile phones. You know, the phone the mat. All your phones, they come in, they can do their photographs and sign in, and let the word know who they are. But after that, your phone's in your bag. You're not allowed to answer your phone or touch your phone during classes. Uh, basically. We normally have a couple of photographers about, like for racing that, doing photographs, and we, Jay Hannah and stuff, usually down, so they can take photographs and, you know, give them to you if you need them, but uh, it's kind of hard, man. Social media is the way they go, and the more profile you get, of course, the more ticket sales and the more marketing you're going to get from that, and it can open avenues and doors. Like, look at the amount of people who came from MMA, have got into, like, radio, TV, you know, commentary. So there's loads of, like, even clothing and modeling and, like, there's opportunities there. So the social media will help in that aspect, but I'm old-fashioned, man. I hate all that shit. I was talking about <laughs> the analog flip phone. Have you any fighters from Bellator? No, the man, no. It's kind of, no. No, what no not really. We had wee George there, but then with all the COVID, man, like, we can't train. Like, we're fucked because we're right in the main street. And you can't, like, get Huh? Are you not classified as elite? Well, Reese is the only. Oh, that's actually a good point. Reese is the actually only elite athlete in the country. Uh, I know there's. I see on social media these wee men one amateur fight and they're putting up elite athlete stat, elite athlete status. Like, hey, elite! You're not even professional. Elite only covers a professional athlete who gets paid and makes eleven from that. So, uh, we we Reese is elite. We're only allowed four people to train and you have to follow the government guidelines so basically you're meant to wear a mask and pile of balls and you're not meant to have any contact so what the fuck Aye. but basically we have a certificate of state and race McKay elite athlete status blah 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 and he's the only the only athlete in the country MMA athlete that has elite status all these other people are putting up these Mickey Mouse fucking elite athlete certificates a pile of pish Madness, man. Don't get started. Don't get me started. And the COVID nonsense, man. It's a fucking... It's, a, it's, it's the story I love. I'm trying to avoid... I'm actually actively trying to avoid talking about it because it just gets me angry. It does. Yeah. It's, and it's, it's prime examples like that. You know, there you, Rodney. You've been involved in this. You're one of the OGs of MMA in Ireland. You've built what I classify as one of the top facilities in this country. I love your I love your whole layout. Just to... Uh-huh. I just love the whole gym and all, especially upstairs and that cold shack that Martin uses. Uh-huh. How the hell, as a, as a kid like Reese, who's got his, who's got a future potential to do something really well here, how is he at, like being given an advantage? 
if he's not allowed to train with people he needs to be trained. People uh -huh. need to understand fighting. You're only as good as your training partners. Uh-huh. Like, if he hasn't got the you training partners... His hands are tied, so that's why he kind of UFC have said, listen, we understand your predicament. Like, you're at the top level of this sport. You know why you come in and lose and damage your reputation and damage your record. So once things pick up again and you get back to your regular training, basically you're, we're having you back again. So, like, as a, as a sound, because you know yourself, man, the elite, they... To get to the UFC is everybody's dream. And for you to get there and then to not be able to train, to not be able to drive up the road and train at other places without getting into trouble, um, it's a pile of balls. It's so frustrating. But it will pass and we will get back there and things will get back to half normal. So Why can't they? Can he not go over to America or another country well, and travel? Well, he could relocate, yeah. but then just the way he's always personal life over here, I don't think. It's an option aside just with his, his partner and just uh, he's got dogs and his family and then another option was to go over maybe and train maybe three, four, five months or six months to do that. But sure that's all shut down again, so you can't even fly in. So And what about what about Alan Fullpot? Is he still fighting? Is he over in Australia? Uh, he's still training, he's in Australia and then he's some guys in the pipeline, he's got something coming up here. I think they had logged down again, but they've opened they won't let anybody fly in or out and basically if you're not from Australia, fucking get out, don't be coming back in. So who's he fighting for? Um, I'm not yeah, it's an Australian promotion, it's not a big one at the minute. Like uh I don't even know the actual name of the promotion. He just said it's in the pipeline here just to get him active and to get him out running again or to get him out competing again. So how was it? Oh, it's right Sydney, so there's a lot of good shows over there too. So yeah, I haven't actually heard from Alan Philp. I haven't seen anything about him in years now, so I was just... Uh, was just I was doing well. He was not one... Remember the one AFC? They were doing the, was it the Ultimate Fighter type thing, but they were mm -hmm. fighting like a 16-man tournament. You had to fight. So like, he won, I think he won three out of five, but he didn't get... I think he lost the last two. It's, uh, a, hard, it's a hard sport. People don't... If you're not a fighter, you don't really understand. Just, you know, especially in MMA, it's... You really do make one mistake and it can be over. Oh, night and day, Master Kadroon, yeah, it's a roller coaster, and you see, like, the mental abuse, you know, you hang, like, we Allens came so close every time, and either some personal has happened, or an injury, or, and it's just that knockback every time, but fair fucks too, man, he gets back on the horse, and he gets training again, and he keeps aiming high, like, the career was, he 26, and he's, like, 52 fucking MMA fights. Is that all he is, 26? 26, I know, and he's experienced to go on, so... He's been fighting man, since he's been 16, 15, 16. That's what I'm saying. You forget, like, and yet, you know something? I actually, it was good to see his evolution because he came from me. I hated the wee lad. I know he might be. Just the wee lad. I want to be shit. But he's become, he's become a very respectable young man, he has, and he's like, it's good to see anyone from I like to see any fighter from Ireland do well. And uh -huh. I suppose MMA, like, we're all Dexy Younger River, like, we're all just young and dumb. But it's good to see a young kid going away and actually doing so well and not quitting. The fact that he's like, like he's lost so many fights and he's never, he's never once the, the word quits never come into his mind. No, he's all, and he's always got injuries too. You know, he lost a knee and shoulder injuries and neck and no, no, he's matured. And one of the best things was getting out about me. See, going to hundred percent because uh, I just opened his eyes to the words. It took away all the negative and all the sectarian shit. I just got him away. Everybody's human and everybody gets on. So that was the best thing for him, and he's just he's matured, and just he's he's good to be his level. He's really good to be coach as well, man. He breaks stuff down. He's smart that way. So he's running his the wee fight, there. 
his fight against Joe Clark a few years ago. I loved that fight. I actually watched it the other day on YouTube again. I know. Um, I that was that was a great fight. I thought too. There was some great exchanges. Joe won it, but there was just <laughs> some great exchanges in between. Phil there won a couple of times. Just and it was just like a a chess game of submission and kicks and punches. I really enjoyed the watching them fighting. He's a good be fighter to watch. He was, but as we said to you, the difference between Bellator and UFC. You've experienced both. What do you th- what do you see as the main differences? Why is UFC just so far ahead of Bellator? I think uh, no, that's a good one. Now. I think it's just it's night and day, man. It's like driving on an M1 motorway to go into a bad country road. You know, just kind of that much. There is it that much difference in it. Ah, man, I guess that's. I wouldn't say maybe go to a B class or a C class road, but it's not. It's just night and day, man. The UFC, they're the best at what they do. I tell you who's in our top promotion is KSW. You see the production and the organization that they put the Aye, aye, aye. That's what Norman's with. Norman's with, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And there was them, and then we were in China. There was a crowd in China ran a show. And it's just this attention to detail and no stress for the fighter at all, man. Everyone's there. You see KSW. Like everybody's weary about AVs and all. You see, after cutting weight. They set up a friggin' separate room, man. We friggin' like six or eight doctors. We all different IV stations, making sure your IV properly. It's not some ruby friggin' paramedic or some drunken coach trying to stick a friggin' IV needle into you. Uh, this is really taken good, care of. This is a really good tangent, actually, go on because it's something I want to talk about. <clears throat> Cutting weight because I was shit at it. You actually, do you remember me trying to cut weight again for for Michael Redmond? And I was fucking skipping bollock naked and trying to get right in. And David, actually, you said that you said let him go. And David, no, he's one of fucking naked. I was like, you bastard. Uh. I just, but the science behind cutting weight has evolved massively. Uh-huh. Now you were you were always really good at making weight. Looking back at your mistakes or looking back at how you done it to looking at how to do it now. How much better performance do you reckon you could have been? Where do you reckon you could have went to had if you had the science and knowledge to have today back when you were skating? Frank, that's a good one. Uh, fuck, it was trying an error back then because I remember the first time we weight caught. I didn't eat. I didn't eat any solid food for two days, and I just sat in a sauna. I sat in a sauna for hour upon hour. I mean, tracks at bottom, sweat suit on the fucking bike. Just to get weight down, I was finding like four kilos one day and six kilos or eight kilos an eggs day. And come on, I couldn't, my arms were like lead and oh, it was horrendous. I am physically scarred. You see, if somebody says to me, Come on, we'll go chill out and go to a spa here for a relaxing day, I get fucking PTSD, man. I can, <laughs> I can see it far enough. No I just I'm laughing because I know what it's like, Robbie. I just I've just got these mental images of all the days back in like the early two thousands when there was just no clue what we were doing. No, you hadn't a clue. And then that, just when you're on that, I remember Rex Franklin was over at the UFC in Belfast, and I remember I was talking to him, and then it was Ed Herman, just about how they cut weight and uh, just about high fiber diet. So that was uh, Rex Frank was the one that got us on the you know Abilene and the yeah. sweet sweat. He started at and then. Uh, he was doing the high fiber diet, so that followed you up. And then, but again, that's all changed now. But I always pick brains of all the coaches, you know. Do you remember? Up. I know it's going to be off topic, I have to bring it back this because, but do, do you remember, God rest his soul, Roger Fallis? And we, do, I, I still Robert use Fallis. that. I still use that triangle escape to this day. I use treats that still. Do you remember the I one I used? Pull the knee down one and step through. Uh huh. I still use that. I thought. 
that for me, the experience of the UFC, the best part of it was not the actual fighting, but afterwards, you know, watching, speaking to the fighters, and we ended up sitting in the in the changing rooms watching the UFC on TV because it was uh, better fun with all the fighters. Uh, but uh, they just the, the experience you had for the the difference of not the. The, the, sorry, the gulf of knowledge between the Americans and us back then was phenomenal. It was night and day, but man, we're up there with them now. That's yeah. That's, in the last thirteen years, we've really just closed the gap completely, and now we're we're understanding. But anyway, uh, back, sorry to tell that tangent there, but back to the weight cuts. To the, so today, what do you think? What what's your opinion on weight cutting now for like amateur fighters and professional fighters? What do you think? Did you think there need to be new rules like like wrestling? Wrestling, you're not allowed to do certain things. Do you think they need uh, here, or are you still old school in your methods, just sucking up? No, I don't agree with weight cutting at all. I think people should fight at their natural. The way one FC do it is, if you're a seventy kg fighter, you fight at seventy seven. So there's kind of they move you up weight class up from your fighting. One you get the weight cutting just came from America and from wrestlers. Like it's fuck all they do with your performance. Like if anything, you know, it probably interferes with your performance. If you if you have a weight bracket, so normally if you're a say you're a seventy kg fighter, well you would just then fight at seventy seven. It saves the weight cut because you know yourself, man. Three four weeks out, you're not worried about the fight. It's just all about making weight. But again, the other side of the coin, that's again a mental fortitude, mental strengthness, as commitment, determination. You have to make the weight, and that's you sign a contract to make weight and to fight. So that's all you have to do. So, uh, but it's tough one and. Uh, tough on the body and long term doing it is definitely sore on you. But on again today's methods is a lot more scientific. You know, you've all your nutritionists and you know all that. The water cutting and stuff is it's just moved on so much. Itself, isn't it? Huh? It's a science in itself. Oh, seriously, like, you know, it's unbelievable. Uh, so then. Why do you think there's been such a delay? Because weight cutting is not healthy and it's bad for the sport and there's there's a potential risk for death. It has happened before, you know, extreme weight cuts in wrestling, yeah. even MMA. Why do you think the UFC and the MMA in, in general are so against adding more weight classes? Surely yeah. that would make it safer and make it more exciting. Uh, well, that's why I agree 100%. They should have more weight classes. Uh why they haven't changed it? Because more deaths have actually occur occurred with weight cutting. I know in China and Brazil, a lot of ones have died with sauna cutting weight. Uh, there's no need. It just comes from that the wrestling mentality and like the wrestlers come out the UFC and stuff from that. Like the uh, no, I think it's just moving the times and basically the way one FC do it is perfect and that's the way everybody should follow that rule and if I was doing that over here or on the show again I would be doing that wherever your natural fighting weight is I'd move you up a weight there's no weight cut so what do you think what do you think would be the sweet spot for weight categories because right now we've got what featherweight lightweight welter middle light heavy and heavy aye well I think there's a big was it the between the lightweight and welterweight it's too big a gap so yeah the 73.5 so we halfway in between there, and then you've got metal weight to light heavy. So again, like maybe eight, eight kilos, stick another one in there. What every about probably four or five box in this box and every four or five kilos or every four or five so. I think I think like what is it? Middleweight uh, middleweight's eighty four. And well, for MMA, but I think boxing that's super metal, you see. I but I'm saying, but in MMA it's like seventy seven welter, eighty four middleweight. That's like a stone. That's a massive amount of weight. Like uh -huh. people don't understand that like how much 
how, how hard it is to take seven kilos off and how, how much difference a fighter walking him seven kilos heavier actually has, uh-huh. you know, what the advantage. And I, I don't, I just can't understand with so much money involved in sport and so much uh, focus on it, why the, the powers that be wouldn't want to make it as safe as possible. So there's less risk, less chance of those who hate the sport of human cockfighters uh-huh. like, have less to jump on board on and, and, you know, yeah, well, it does make sense for safety is the main thing and the main key. So, like, if you're not caught weight, you're not dehydrating your brain. One, you're going to perform better on the fight, and two, your body's going to be healthier to take a bit more abuse than if you're dehydrated. Uh, you know, the UFC done the big change and done the way ends from half four in the afternoon to nine o'clock in the morning to give your brain 36 hours to recover instead of 24. So, like that, but just scrap the weight cuts. Like, yeah, of course, you have a bit of cutting to do, but. Um, for that other one AFC as well, the way they do it, whenever you make weight, so if you're say 70 kilos, you fight at 77, you're only allowed to hydrate up a certain percent, so you can't balloon away up to friggin' 90 kilos. You're only allowed a certain amount of weight back on. And once you understand it, it's typical Chinese man, it's 100 percent, it makes sense and it's perfect, like it's a good system, so that should spread out. But the Americans probably won't take it because the Chinese thought of it. <laughs> <laughs> But like, do you ever do you, do you envision a time when maybe weight cuts won't be allowed, and they, they will have more categories, and it'll be like a natural fighting weight? Uh, but then it was two. No, I think you still need to keep weights for the light. You can't have too many divisions and too many belts because then uh, likes of boxing guys are jumping up like eight and ten and six divisions. You know, like you know yourself, if you were a sixty-five kg fighter, you're not really going to go to eighty-four kgs to fight somebody. Yeah. Uh, but no, I think you still need I think you need to be more relaxed but not as like maybe every three or four kilos have a separate division a separate so why did they take out the, why are you not allowed to use IV drips anymore? Because uh, one for mask and steroid or uh, what do you call it, steroid fucking with the IV it was kind of a mask behind it or kind of and it was the plasticides that kind of were it was all explained to us over there, but basically that was the main thing behind it was uh, people were masking the old, what's the other name they use for it? Not steroids. Uh, performance enhancing drugs. Performance enhancing, performance enhancing drugs. That gear. <laughs> Give us that one. The gear and Palomino, hi. Thank you for giving me that move from. Do you agree? Do you think it's it was a smart move or do you think it's been detrimental? Well, if they're still cutting weight, IV is the safest way to rehydrate. So you're, of course, always going to get the people that bend the rules and they kind of try and take. But you see the way you saw that are now, there's no way you can get around. You see the test them boys do on you is unreal. You have to log every supplement you take and then they have to verify it and they'll check it. So you can't just go to home and bar it or go to your local gym and buy creatine and aminos and all that stuff. That all has to be sent across to Yasada, and they, man, they'll check it. Then they are they're back to you and say yes or no. You can use that. You can't use that. And if you can't get it, they'll actually send you stuff from the Performance Institute from America. They'll send you a monthly supply of stuff that you can use. See, so, yeah, that, that yeah. last the last stand we had with Reese over there, all the nutrition from the Performance Institute. When you go across, they take over your weight. So they measure out your meals. You weigh in when you get there. They measure your meals and they'll taper your food down to help you make weight. And they have your rehydration drinks and all made up for you when you come off the scales. 
They be over for you. It's unreal, man. It's serious. That's, that's a serious. What was your experience like in the in Fight Island? Because that, ah, that would be cool, awesome. Where was Thirty? Thirty Rabi was it or Abby Dabby or? Uh, Abby Dabby. Um, it was weird as fuck, man. It was just it was eerie just seeing the whole place with nobody there. It was only basically UFC staff and security. Like two hundred and fifty kilometers square kilometers, the whole island was shut down. Um, and we got there at the start, we were back green, but you had to stay in your hotel, you had to stay in the hotel room. But we were all like, we had four rooms beside each other, one was converted to a gym. Uh, but we climbed out over the balcony into each other's room and just all sat together and trained. We flew over to fucking play in the gallery, so we hardly, we're hardly, yeah. and we're all tested. So to sit individually, like, they'd be in the friggin' jail cell, so they stay apart for the days. You just we trained why? together and never had it. If they've been tested so much, and they all, why would they, why would they be so strict in that? I don't understand uh, that. I got near the way because we asked that why like, we were tested before we left. Uh, as soon as they landed in Abu Dhabi, we were tested again. Go to the hotel, we we're tested again. You were locked in the hotel room. You had to wait forty hours for the results taken back. Um, basically, we might stay in the hotel room. You had your food and dinner was left on to you. Like you just put your order on and what time you want to eat at, and they brought it to you. Uh, we basically all hung out in Reese's room anyway, so we just climbed the balcony and went into his room. And then uh, once in 40 hours, you get another band tag, so then you're allowed to out. You can come out of your room, but you're not allowed to leave the hotel. You have to stay inside the grounds. But I'm, everybody's been tested, and there's not another company in the island. Where everybody's here is all UFC staff, and they're all tested. So, well, I donnered up anyway. I went to the beach and fucking donnered about. <laughs> Fuck him. <laughs> fuck him, fuck him <laughs> Yeah, yeah, watching the fights, it's it sort of brings you back to your it sort of brought me back to what it felt like to be watching guys sparring in the gym. Aye, you, every, the early days, that, was like, that sound the, I missed you hear it. The rank and then the, yeah, you hear the punches and no, it's weird oof. to get together you see and not have a public. That's North thing now you race messed out on. Like walk out I walked out with Norman, the MGM Grand, twenty-six, twenty-eight thousand people. It was unreal, man. The hair stood in the back of your neck. For then race to get the Abbey Dabby to come out with fifty people sitting like it was only all security staff and media. It's just it was just weird, but it was so the nice energy. to see that and experience that. Yeah, the energy of the crowd. Like I always say, like with Stevie Lynch, there's only nine thousand there. Uh, and like my even at that, that time Joe Rogan all said that was one of the most electric atmosphere and crowds they've ever been to in 2007 no 2007 aye and then again they went to Dublin and then Dublin they beat us the bastards but <laughs> <laughs> well, that was because well, that was because they had more popularity then but we were uh, we were the, we were the original one. remember that we were the original because yeah, no, remember Ed Herman walking out and Robert Follis Backstage, you just said that the like when Colin walked out with Stevie, especially when Stevie walked out, man, the roof would have blew the place. Like, it was unreal. You used to, he said the hairs in your arms and I were standing. It was. I still think about it and I go, and I, I just have you asked Stevie or Norman or Reese, you know, well, Reese has an experience yet. They have people calling your name. Like I yeah. was just part of that group and I got the energy. The, the, it is something I think it's so very unfair that Reese has an experience because that energy is going to give you a, another gear. After just turbo as indeed, man. Just fires you up. If you say any doubt or any, you know, you get out of double and out of log after the first round, you know, I'd say before the second one kicks, and just that crowd firing you up and lifting you. Uh, it's, uh, yeah. 
you didn't see the clip of Mike Tyson talking about just before the fights compared to actually get the it was I actually put it on my Instagram there a couple of weeks no, ago. I don't see. I haven't, I haven't seen on my social media much myself. I'll I'll send you it's actually brilliant, but he just talks he, he, what he says, you just you just know if you fought, you know he's like, you know, behind scenes you're nervous, you're feeling sick, you're worried, and then you hit that first punch and it's like boom, you're back into the game and uh, it's like fighting normal normal technique, it's normal shit every day. Uh-huh. It's just that it's a whoa it just uh-huh. reminds me so much of all the the, the, the be able to walk out in front of that in front of nine, ten, twenty thousand people, mm-hmm. like they, they must give you that. It just must give you that extra energy. It must be able to take the punches you'll be able to and the kicks you'll be able to take compared to the gym must be like a different level. Uh, I I always thought it was like nearly not mere say, but it was like you were like an outer body experience. I had me a couple of times around fighting. You hear the crowd, and you know they're hitting you, and you hear the thump of the shots. And all like I didn't feel fuck all, oh, man. That was nothing and. You just don't feel none, and you can nearly see the punches coming in slow motion and stuff. And you just see something they do. I was just the weirdest feeling. It's happened me a couple of times in fights, but um, I know I just saying about the crowd and people. The member KSW had done the big Coliseum show, 58,000 people. Yes, Norman fought in that. That was one of the man, one of the best shows of my life. Like, that was man, the crowd, they filled that place. That was 58,000 odd. And the roar and just the, the atmosphere, the electric in the place was it was scary. It just made the hair stand on your body, your neck, your arms. You're you're known as a coach, Rodney, so you are, but like well, I actually well I, I'm long enough truth and long enough in truth to know that you were one of Ireland's top fighters. And had had you been born ten years later, you would hundred percent been UFC. Um as far as your fights go, what's your most memorable fight? Uh, or what's the one you would do? What's the one you, if you're, if when say when people say to you, what about your fight career? What's that one fight that comes back to you straight away? Or is there one? Ah, uh, there's always there'll be a couple because always say, Matt Emmett, because that first one me and him had. That's what I was going to say. Ah, uh, exactly. Just one because well, we don't, I don't like a bag from America too. And that was one of them ones. Like, we just not be the Memorial Hotel. We're down the back stairs, we're out in the car park, actually warming up, and you're warming up beside. I didn't even know to about maybe 40 minutes before the fight. I was actually fighting Emmett. I just knew I was 90 kilo, 92 kilos. And I was fighting somebody at 90 kilos. I haven't a clue who the fuck it was. Actually, it was meant to be Andy Ryan, as far as I know, at the start. And then, uh, as I go out there, I swear to God, I was walking into the ring. There's all, I just seen the wee long-haired, wee, wee we hell that Emmett. <laughs> <laughs> so, that, for being one of my first fights in Ireland, that's, I like that one. Uh, Again, one of the ones was the uh, King's Hall, the boy Jason Jones. Come on, that one. one. I was only back. Um, he fucked about. He missed weight and didn't try to make weight. And uh, that's one I just sat in the sauna, starved myself for two days. And I remember after the first round, I come back. Uh, Colin and Johnny were doing the corner, and I came back and said, "Fuck, man, I wish I had a run the moat hell." I was only back from I say three weeks holiday in Cuba. I actually done a hike in Cuba and then stayed on. So it was like friggin'. 93 kilos, and I cut down to 88 because it says I'm not making 84. And then that fucker, he comes across at 95. He never even tried to cut weight. And then I was an arrogant prick, man. And then, uh, anyway, it's good, that was a good fight too because I kind of thought that's the last real fight I had with any, like, fire to hurt somebody. I was too placid, man. I didn't like hurting people, and I was too nice in fights. And I kind of lost, not lost heart. That's why I kind of took a back, back step from it because I kind of lost the fire. 
But no, I really wanted to fucking mess him up a bit because he was a bit of a prick. So. Do you remember losing your fire? Do you remember what when it was you lost your fire? Like I told you about Michael Redman. That's uh, I, probably. Uh, I can't mind, but I know vaguely. I, I remember it was on a fight. I think it was actually in Western Super Mare. It was over there in the show. I remember fighting a guy. I remember taking him down. I remember punching him. And, and I punched him. And I was going to go for the arm bar. I remember David shouting, no, take the choke. Uh, and I remember doing the punch there. I just thought, fuck, I don't like this anymore. And it was just, I just come on, that just random thought. And then I've been in positions where I'm getting hit on and punched. And I'm thinking about all the stuff outside of the fucking fight. I'm thinking, fuck, no, I need to get that fixed. This has to get out. <laughs> I have to go and do this or do that. And then after that, I just went, ah, fuck it, man. I would, I'm actually, it was more, I like more see teaching the guys something to do and then seeing, sitting back and watching them progress. Hundred percent. I'm on. You're you're a natural born coach. I say that you've got you've you've got a great temperament for coaching. You've got a great gym going on, and you've you are a fantastic coach. You've got a wealth of knowledge. And sometimes, like I said, the Andy, the only reason I ever fought was because I knew I wanted to coach, and I had the for you me. I had have to do it. You yeah, experience it like I. But I never enjoyed one fight. Never uh, went in my life that I I never got excited about fighting ever. I was like, why am I fucking doing this? Uh, it was almost like. The bully, the, the, the bully child in me, I had to do it to prove to the bully child within me that I could do this. Uh, that I would, the bullies didn't beat me, but I despised fucking fighting. Uh, I hear it too, man, because I'm, I'm very kind of laid back, but I, I always hear it doing stuff in the crowd. Like, I wouldn't like walk up in front of the stage and freaking talk, but for actual fear of me, do you think I'm going to fight in front of a thousand people or six thousand people or whatever? I would have scared the freaking life out of me. And then, uh, I just, I done that but then again back then when I was coaching like I was learning the stuff and then I was testing it out and if it worked we would use it and then we just modified it from that it just kind of evolved from that and then I used to love I just was I used to love them moments in Davies Jim remember the three of us you had a lot of times when maybe three of us there and we would just okay what can we do from here and we would just start playing about and we would I just troubleshoot oh the I just wish more people could have experienced what it was like back then because that was it was a very unique time and it was it, it, I'm privileged to have been part of that. Do you know why I'm so happy that my MMA career was back then? I because was a pioneer that was building the bone blocks for today's guys. It was, like. But it wasn't even that. It was just the, it was the friendships made. Uh, it, there's there's something about like when I phoned Fight Academy Ireland did not have. I actually remember when Davey and I had the fallout. And I hadn't spoke to him in years. And then Eddie Marion came down the Iron Fit and said to me, I walked into him, I walked into uh, Davies Weed Club for the first time in maybe uh-huh. eight years. Uh, I felt emotional. I, like, everybody's still knows you, like, I mean, nothing had fucking changed. Like, uh, I mean, literally the same Bob was still there. Uh-huh, still there. <laughs> like, nothing had changed. And, like, I really can't, like, like, I've owned. I Fight Academy Ireland was the first big full-time gym in the country. I the first American-style gym. Yeah, like, but, like, that was my gym. I built that from nothing. Like, I found uh-huh. that from the Falls Ledger Centre. It still never felt like home. Like, uh-huh. I, wa- I walked in Davies, and I remember smelling, just going... Uh, I, 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 I can remember thinking to myself, straight away, I'm home. And it was uh-huh. like I hadn't left. The same people were there. And there's something... I don't know, like you're probably your gym's probably the same, but you can't replicate that whatever Davy had there, whatever that time held, 
it's 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 like, like time capsule. You, you'll never, oh, you'll never think, you never you can't get that again. But I think it has to do with the people. It's not there's not the same type of people, but people in general have changed as well. Like I think they're more back then, not normal. It's just more like old fashioned, just look, like morals and stuff. And what I like that we used to like there was no secrets. Do you know? Uh, like if you walked in, you'd be, hey, boy, really see this technique? And we would uh, just drill this technique. And we're like, okay, let's do this. Uh, and, or I would come up and say, here, I've seen this wee book. I've seen this in this book. And we can adapt it to this. What do you think? And they're uh, going, that's shite. That's great. And we'll try it. Uh, that, that, I miss that. I, I miss that sort of community and that sort of, I don't know, culture that was that we... we uh, I don't know what you mean, but that, just, that was not era. And that's kind of... like I would still do that today. We have the wee Tuesday and Thursday, the elite class. Most times there's nothing planned what they teach, but when we just start with one technique and then you know, what do you do from here? So you just break it down. As I say, Robert Follis was actually one of the guys that uh, said to me, but he always taught the technique in that way. That was kind of he always taught it, but he tell he told the people he was teaching it to to learn the technique that you had to learn it to two people, and then from that you troubleshoot each area. So if I was to do take you down and you would roll the all fours. Well, then I would adapt on, well, I'll do this. And then I'll go back and you go down the other avenue. Okay, then what if you do this instead of that? So just it was just to break it down step by step. And then at the end of the drill, man, you'd whole wee sequence put together. Um, no, it's a great way to draw stuff. It definitely is. Uh, I th- the, the, the lack of pressure as well on us was so... I think that was a great a great thing that happened to us. We, we didn't have any pressure because no one knew anything. None uh, of us had black belts. None of us had a clue what we were doing. We were just learning as we went, which uh-huh. meant we were all in a very even keel. No one sort of like there was like Davy was looked up to, you were looked up to, the rest of us were just fighters. Uh-huh. But there was no real set instructor almost in them days. It was just no, just trial and error. You just fucked about it and if something worked. But then even then you know yourself, I like, oh that boy's just a striker, just take him down to the ground and choke him. You know, <laughs> or if he is a striker, oh just or grab her and I'll keep that keep him on his feet and just try and oh. right. Or it was, even, it was even less. I was like, he's a doorman. He's just going to punch <laughs> him. <laughs> That's literally what I was like. Rough, he's rough it out for a round. They'll gas after a minute. <laughs> you what? I said, rough it out for a round. Then they'll gas out after a minute or so. <laughs> you, used to always, you used to always remember like the big bodybuilder type coming in. Uh-huh. And everyone would be like, whoa. And all the fighters after two or three months of fighting would be like, he's dead. Uh-huh. <laughs> you knew straight away these guys. This guy knew Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. And this guy just knew the door. It's like uh-huh. he's As soon as he gets gripped. Here, for me, I went off topic again. Like we're doing, we're jumping back and forth just because we know each other so well. But <laughs> the uh, for me, your best fight ever was Emmett in Ramble, and not the Ramble, sorry, the Elk. The, it was the same show that I was on that the rope broke. Do you remember the rope snapped? Who was that? Was that remember? Did you fight in that show? Did you? you I fight fought that on the ropes. The rope snapped. I fought. I still. I was actually hoping you could remember his name because I can't remember his name still. I was trying to talk to Andy, Andy Burrows about it, and I forgot his name, and I completely forgot. He trained with Emmett, but then he uh, went to you know, Steve, Your boy Stephen, St- Steve McComb. Steve McComb from Emmett's one. He used to train with Emmett. Yes, Steve yes. great grappler. Aye, aye, aye. That no. you were fighting. You were fighting the same show with with Emmett that day. Uh, I can't mind the rim. I was probably upstairs. I can't remember the rope break. And, uh, I do because it, it, it took me twenty minutes. It took, it took it twenty minutes to, and then I I lost all hope in the hell. You fucking went through the rope, and I was like, I'm doing well here. The rope snapped, uh, and then I was uh, like, 
fuck. Ah, <laughs> uh, here, I just a break your kind of momentum and takes you from just because out of the zone. But I remember your yours you fought Emmett that day, and it was a fucking war. It was uh, an absolute you two had so was it three fights you had? Nah, no, that was the second. We never had the third because then never had the third. Was, he went down the welterweight. Then after that, I was at middleweight. But that was one I, I actually kicked, but it was me knee happening the kick. Uh, it was the cut that stopped the fight. And I said, man, Shasta shit way he won the fight, man. I didn't want to take the belt. But yeah. He won fair fox. No, he won's a one. So. It was a great fight, though. You two fought fucking. You two you, you brought the fight together. Like it's, uh, it's, it's like for people, for guys who knew each other so well, you were able to leave your friendship. I was just, that's it. It, was, it was not personal. You're there to fight and you're there to win. Like, because Emmett, fuck man, he threw, he put par, and he might remember having me play my bell, fuck, and just white flash, remember the room spinning, and I went, fuck me. Uh, do you remember he knocked the idiot out? Do you, What's remember, that? do you remember, the, remember the time he knocked the idiot out in the spa? In the spa? We remember Davey, we had, I think Davey had hired an orange hall out or something at this point, we were in between we're clubs, and fucking Emmett came up, and just, like it's on video, it's on VHS, Emmett just caught um, Aiden, and Aiden was gone for minutes. Like, oh, Emmett yeah. could punch for such a small oh, man. That first fight, he broke my nose. The first fight, said that he had me too again. Uh, but remember, had me, had me a big fucking overhand. I remember just getting the big thud. They just seeing the white flash, and then I just remember the room going in circles. And I was like, "Oh fuck, that wasn't good." So, uh, and what about your sparring? Your sparring style now, because like you said just said about Cha Cha. I take it you've realised that the way we sparred. Is not like, actually success. <laughs> no, that's <laughs> moved on. That's involved in real bats since then. So what? Uh, what, do you, what do you have? Do you have set rules? I know, I know that John Kavanagh. He has like you know touch sparring against. It's very rarely they get hit, and I'm starting to actually think that is probably the most intelligent way to spar because every punch you take is traumatic. You need you do need to have a certain sort of. Uh, we'll take a couple of weeks. Uh, we'll take a couple of weeks. Fears, any fights, but you have to get that the deep water, a fresh man every couple of minutes. And heavy, heavy sparring. You're there to try and finish the person. But well, we've been doing it since... It was Martin DeJong and Alistair Overeem, actually, 2005. I was over in Holland training with them. And I watched how they sparred. And it was they call it cha-cha. So that's where we took the name from. Um, it's just light contact, touch sparring. But you still flow, single leg, takedown, pass guard, ground and pound, submission. The sequence, you just keep flowing and evolving the whole time. Uh, so there's no ego involved. It's just... The idea of training your eyes to see the attacks coming. We've been doing that for 15 years, man. Easy, 12, 15 years. And do you think it has a good crawl? Well, obviously, it does. 100%. Because I say, I tell you now, I'm not going to say, but uh, we were over in the show in England. And I remember I was with Greg Locker and Phil Pot, And uh, that's all our massive gym was doing the warm up. And I mean, sprawl, drill, level change, shoot, burpees, tie drill, one to eight. Beating shatty of it, and there, me and Greg and Falport were just doing shadow cha cha nice and light. And I seen them watching us saying, What the fuck, them boys aren't work, working out too hard. Uh, and then six, seven months later, I seen the same guys doing what we're doing. So you were talking about them there, but that's where it was kind of came from. I'm All not right, saying, okay. I'm not saying <laughs> no names, but. <laughs> 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 We've been doing it for 15 years, man. That was... <laughs> so you're the original guy. You're the reason why we're all doing it. Well, Martin John, Martin, I'm an Alistair over him. I, but I mean, you brought it. To, you brought it this way. I brought it. To, I brought it to Ireland. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, me, I think we'll leave it there, mate. That was an hour and a half. It was great to catch oh, up with you. Me, man, I. 
I'm going to cut logs now. I'm going to give an out by hand cut down tree and splat logs. It's about time you've done some work. You're putting on a bit of work. lying about doing nothing here. Well, mate, I'm afraid to cut mate. I really appreciate you your time up. Brian, speak to you, Paul. Thank you very much, mate. Speak you to you. Before you, before you go, before you go, Randy. Before you go, let everyone know where you where, where you exist, where they can get you, and how to get in contact with the want to MMA. Okay, right, guys. If anybody wants to get in touch, uh, our jam is IMMA Jam Next Generation Northern Ireland. It's based in Ballymena. Um, we're on Twitter, social media. We call Instagram, Facebook. So just uh, IMMA Jam and. Uh, the way things are, there's not much training happening, but contact on it out for information. And when we're open again, hopefully see us all there. Thank you very much, mate. And oh. I'll speak to you I'll tell definitely when it's open up, I'm going to go up to him and Martin anyway, so good catch up with you anyway. Yeah, well, they see you in person. Yes, mate, I will do. Right. You know what? Actually, I was saying that I want to do, I want to do an interview, a podcast, where I have all the old school, Andy Burroughs, yourself, Johnny, Davey. I'm happy on real. Just right. sitting around talking about reminiscing of the old days. I think that'll be an and amazing fuck, conversation. Fuck COVID. We can all do it and now. We can just pack the venue and we'll do it now. You go, you come in my Yeah! Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> Rodney, I'll see you later, mate. Right, Paul. See you there, man. <laughs>